Finding the right cleat can be transformative. Believe me, I've worn plenty during my career. So getting the right balance is crucial. The cleat needs to feel good on your foot, but also feel good connecting with the ball. The New Balance Furon 7 Plus is built with both of those points in mind, offering overall comfort and precise striking in the game's fastest moments. Because, as I learned the hard way, because I didn't possess much of it, speed matters in soccer. That's why the Furon 7 Plus is built for accuracy and precision at rapid pace and is engineered specifically for use on firm ground. Why is this the ideal cleat, I hear you ask? Well, not to get too scientific, but the Furon 7 Plus offers a lightweight yet supportive hypo-knit with mesh lining upper construction and is paired with offset lacing for a truer strike of the ball, which is a long way of me saying that your game will immediately get better when these are on your feet. Learn more and purchase the Furon at NewBalance.com. Podcast and soccer we trust. I'm Jimmy Cream Cheese Conrad, alongside only Hollywood Heat Pierce today because Charlie Chuck Wagon Davies' second yacht apparently doesn't have Wi-Fi installed yet, but I'm sure it will soon. And on today's show, we're going to talk about Landon Donovan making a managerial move potentially from the USL to MLS, and some interesting comments made by U.S. Men's National Team Manager Greg Berhalter and how that could impact what players in the National Team Player Pool are deciding to do with their futures this summer as they try to make a late play to get on the World Cup roster, and of course how that also impacts their involvement in the team in the next World Cup cycle, which definitely has to be on the mind of some of the players. But first, let's do a recap with Heath about his great interview with Mason Mount. So Heath, from my experience, about 10 minutes after I do an interview, I always have a moment of, oh my God, I totally should have asked him that. Did that happen to you with Mason Mount? Uh, I mean, it was a little bit harder because you're going through the lens of a club, right? And the club generally want uh, it to be the interview to be woven through the team, right? That's what they're on. They're promoting the club, the team. So I totally understand that. So it was hard because I wanted to really get into, and I feel like we had the best conversation when we were talking about the national team and a little bit more, less the the thing that you're in. And Jimmy, you know, when you're when you're stuck in the middle of a preseason, you're and not stuck, but when you're in the middle of a preseason and everything's going on, you're overstimulated all day long. Maybe you're doing double sessions. You're tired. You're doing media. Then it's a it's not the most exciting topic. Uh, talking about. Uh, your team and stuff. But so there wasn't really one particular thing. I just wish that we could have just kind of hammered down on more national team stuff. Cause obviously through the lens and the angle of this show, uh, but he was a great guy, really, really open and fun and, and, and down for a little bit of banter. So, um, and we were running on a pretty tight timeline. So um, yeah, cool. I mean, the guy's a superstar, right? Yeah. So you, you can only work on his schedule, but I thought it was very cool that in soccer, we trust got that type of access. And really that's due to you being nicknamed Hollywood. That's being proven right now that the, mm. the evidence is there that when your nickname is Hollywood, it's Hollywood for a reason. And that's because we get to book special guests, just mm. like Mason Mount. All right, let's pivot now to Landon Donovan, potentially being linked to... Wait, Jimmy, over. Jimmy, before we go too far, uh, Hector has a question for you in, in, in the comment section that says, hey, Jimmy, why the two intros every video? Oh, there well, you- the, two, the two intros every video, one is for YouTube, and the other mm-hmm. one is for anybody that's listening on the podcast platform. So I am being told that I got to give you a little teaser, and then I got to give in and give a little bit of a brief pause and let it for it because the podcast people that are listening on their platform of choice make sure you subscribe if you're listening follow us on twitter iswt pod they also have a different intro so it's kind of two things at one we're just playing the game baby there's a game afoot 
and we're just playing the game. So Hector, I appreciate you allowing us to give us a shameless plug right now on all the platforms. It's very nice of you to do that in TSF. Thank you, Heath. All right, now let's pivot to Landon Donovan, potentially going to coach the San Jose Earthquakes, his former club. I was there at San Jose when he came over from Bayer Leverkusen, and I picked him up every day to take him to practice. I used to talk to his mom to make sure that everything was going okay with Landon. That's how young he was when he made his move over. Now, obviously, he won two MLS Cups with San Jose and then made, let's say, a significant move to a rival, the LA Galaxy, and then went on to win more MLS Cups. The guy, I don't like every other year he's winning an MLS Cup. So, so I guess there's two things here. He, do you think he would consider going to the Quakes? He's 40 years old. He's in his third season as manager of San Diego Loyal. He's also a VP there and, and you know, very similar to Peter Vermes at Sporting Kansas City, really entrenched in every level. And he's also a part mm-hmm. owner, so he's got a little stake in there, too. <laughs> Do you think he wants to leave San Diego to go to the Quakes, which historically hasn't been good, especially with this, the same ownership group, the Fisher family, to try to work that out? It'd be a big name, of course, but I don't know if I would do it if I was Landon Donovan, with all due respect to the Quakes, that are trying to figure it out, obviously. Yeah, I'm, I'm interested in this one just because of the fact that he is a Galaxy legend, but the I feel the stakes and the hired-to-be-fired role of a manager at the LA Galaxy would probably supersede Landon Donovan's name at a certain point, right? And mm-hmm. so it's kind of one of those things where is it the right fit? Maybe, maybe not. But then on the flip side, you know, earthquakes are are a, are a rival of his, and and they've got a lot to figure out uh, still as a club. They've still got a now if they came in and they gave him a long term contract and they gave him some control and they allowed him to bring in a team and you hired out the right thing that built a little bit more of a foundation because I feel like the earthquakes have always been a little bit about not always because back in the day you go to the clash and things like that a little more of a foundation, but now seem to be about like sort of quick fixes or trying to get to the 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 finish line as quickly as possible, meaning uh, results or a trophy of some kind. And I, I I feel like a lot of clubs, and it's not just about San Jose Earthquakes, are in this sort of next generation phase where it was very much about MLS was about parity. And now you're starting to see clubs build foundations for success. Now those are cyclical because we're seeing Atlanta go through their first troubles and others, but they could use a, somebody like Landon Donovan if they're going to give him the resources around him to come in, set up shop, and build for the future. You know, what's the academy doing right now? Because they've got some talented players, actually, in the, in the San Jose Earthquakes Academy. They've got a number of other players as, as, as well. And so if you could start to put all those pieces together towards what the future of the club looks like, the next generation of the club, then it makes sense. But otherwise, you know, if, if this is a Band-Aid to go, okay, maybe in the next two years we can, we can go for something, I don't think that works for Landon. I don't think that would be a smart move for the club either. Okay, everybody, if you're listening and or watching, let us know your thoughts on whether you think Landon Donovan should go to the Quakes and just maybe add how you think he'll do as a manager overall. Now, with the San Diego Loyal, they are currently in third place this year in the Western Conference in the USL Championship, which is considered the second division here in the States. Uh, He has a 30 wins, 23 losses, and 15 draws in his managerial career. I don't know how much you know, Heath, about his managerial style, but it feels very European where he's just overseeing other coaches that are running training and he'll kind of jump in when he does. I think he's he's managing the players. He's he's kind of sitting on top of the uh, on top of the pyramid, as it were. And and I don't know, it just feels pretty European. I don't know if I could do that. I feel like uh, maybe I'm just I like to talk and, and I like to get my hands dirty and get in the trenches. But. It seems to be working for San Diego, and and from what I hear with the players, they really like the way that he's doing his job and, and how the whole thing is set up. Yeah, I think sometimes, and obviously I want to get your take on on landing to the San Jose Earthquakes um, as well and what, what your actual, like what you think the upside is and what you think the potential risk is. But 
I, I, I think that that style could work if you have the right staff, right? You and I both know we've had good uh, head coaches. We've had bad head coaches, probably more. I've had more, much more bad than good in my personal experiences. <laughs> good assistant coaches. Uh, I've had more give good. Us the I've dirt. Had, give us the dirt. I've had more good assistant coaches than I've had good uh, head coaches uh, because they, they can, they can actually have a really strong impact. And I know people th- talk about like assistant coaches, like, setting up uh, cones and putting out the bibs and those kinds of things and jumping into possession uh, when they when they need an extra number. But they have a huge impact, and I feel like they can be bigger mentors than, than a coach can be. Uh, and so if he's more removed and you have that relationship and that trust and you have really good technical coaches and really good ones that are um, efficient with their messaging, good at motivating players, then I, I think that could work. Um, I just think, again, and, and maybe actually with Landon Donovan's personality type, it would work better than him being hands-on. I mean, Jimmy, would you like knowing Landon as much as you do and as much as I do? I don't know, and people do evolve and grow, but I don't see Landon as somebody who's rah, rah, rah on the field all the time, you know, over-talking, things like that, or excited, or not necessarily excited, but like get, like diving into to, to something for, for long periods. Landon, I, I don't remember that being necessarily uh, the, the, the type of player that he was. Maybe you feel differently. No, what what I'll say is, and I think you probably did this too. Maybe we even had conversations about it when we were together with the national team. You sit there and you look around the locker room and you think, I wonder what that guy's going to do when he's done. You know, <laughs> he'll probably be a director of coaching, you know, for some youth team. He'll go back to his hometown and be and be the the local celebrity in the soccer. When I circle. played against Robbie Russell in Denmark, I was like, that guy's going to be a doctor someday. I was right. I, that, but that's <laughs> it's one of those things, you know. I remember going and thinking. I, Davey Arno, who's now the assistant coach to Josh Wolf at Austin FC. I was like, I wonder what Davey's going to do afterwards. You know, he didn't have much schooling to fall back on because he just jumped and took his opportunities to get into the professional ranks as soon as possible, like anybody would. And and there's a lot of guys like that that maybe don't have the education to fall back on, like a Robbie Russell. So it was. I was always like, man, Davey, what, what I wonder, you know. And now he's he's finding his way and, and had a short managerial stint as the head coach of the Houston Dynamo, and now he's with Josh and gaining all this really valuable experience that will serve him well and whatever he wants to do moving forward. So I use him as an example because I just really had no idea what he was going to do. With regard to Landon, I didn't think he needed to do anything. Obviously, he had made more than enough money to chill and do whatever the hell he wanted, and, and he's one of the biggest names uh, in, in soccer in this country and and uh, could probably pick his sponsors to work with and just be an ambassador for the league. I mean, they named the MVP trophy after him. So he he clearly had done enough to kind of rest on his laurels I like that he's challenging himself, but you also can see as a player how they're going to manage, if, if they do become a coach, how they're probably going to manage adversity and pressure and expectations. Atlanta's really steady. I don't see him get, when I watch San Diego Loyal games, I don't see him get too over the top. I think he keeps a nice even keel. I think that's important for the team to see as well, that if you're losing your shit on the sideline, then you're, it kind of gives your team that nonverbal license to do the same, and that never ends well. So I like his demeanor on the sideline and never too high, never too low, keeps it steady. What I think is interesting is that he also dealt with that mental health issue when Jurgen Klinsmann was coaching, when he was still playing. And I think that allows him to be a little more empathetic to what his teammates, or excuse me, what his team is going through, what his players are going through. And the best evidence of that was, of course, when he stood up for uh, Colin Martin after uh, one of his players, Colin Martin, was subjected to an anti-gay slur by then Phoenix rising for junior Fleming. So that whole thing was, I was really proud of Landon first for, cause you don't see coaches do that a lot where they stand up for their players. So there's something in that type of way. So there's something about that, that, that character, that, uh, that strength, that quiet strength that he has quiet confidence that he has 
that could bode well. I think I think the Quakes could use his presence. Do I think that's the best situation for him? Is I mean, I guess if you're going to get hired in any situation, and you can talk to Wayne Rooney about this with DC United, you're probably not going to get hired into the best situation of all time. You're there to fix the situation. So yeah. the Quakes for me are interesting because from what I've heard with the Fisher family, the only reason they didn't fire Matias Almeida sooner was because John Fisher, the, the owner, doesn't like to do that. He's got a policy like, hey, this guy signs his contract. I expect him to honor it. And that you have to also have to be willing, willing to pay somebody out that money while, right, while right. they walk away and they're just hanging out, you know? Right. And I mean, we could argue Matias Almeida at San Jose was trying everything he possibly could to get fired and the guy just wouldn't do it. So, or John Fisher wouldn't do it. So it's, it's interesting. I do think that they're putting some things in place that are going to allow that club to have some long-term success. And this would be an interesting hire. I just don't know. I mean, let's be honest. If I was in San Diego coaching and everything was going great, I don't know if I'd want to move anywhere, not San Jose, anywhere to, to, to leave that yeah. kind of situation. So it's an interesting one. I would love to see him do it. And, and I guess my question back to you and everybody, again, it's another layer to this question about Landon. Do you think he could be a national team coach moving forward? Wow. That's a, that's a, I just lost that's my a, light, by the way. I keep yeah. Going. Yeah. I thought you were just, I thought that was the drop the mic moment of just like, boom, uh, end of, end of show. Uh, no, I, I, I mean, there's just, as you know, Jimmy, when I was doing my B light coaching license, you quickly realize just how different now, uh, how different coaching is. Now you apply the same things as you did becoming a player, which is about reps and getting out there and putting in the time and the work and, you know, um, having the right mindset, but coaching is very, very different. And there's no reason that Landon couldn't be if he got to that level. But I do have a, I do think that coaching is one of those things. And there's very few phenoms that we know in Europe and they get, you know, they get celebrated when they're young stars that are uh, a coaching from the coaching standpoint, you need to put in time. Right. And uh, again, I go back to this time. I was, I was, I was here with uh, Rodolfo Burrell, who's the first assistant of Pep Guardiola. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, he was here in, Man in Manhattan Beach, and and he was yeah, telling the story. Of the day. Hey, thirteen flex minutes in, everybody yeah, got a yeah. first flex. Flex of the day. <laughs> but uh, what Rodolfo was talking about is that before he became the academy uh, director at um, at Liverpool, he was at Barcelona, and he was at the 14s, 15s, 16s, 17s, 18s, just putting in all this time. And now he's the first assistant of Pep Guardiola. And he's had opportunities to become, you know, sporting director and other things like that at pretty good sized clubs. But what he was talking about is this pathway of the coach. And this is where it gets a little bit interesting and maybe a little bit too in-depth for, for, for everybody. But no way, I'm in. I'm, like, he, I'm all ears right now. In the U.S., the way the system is built is that the, the U16 makes more than the 15s, the 17s makes more than the 18s, the 19s makes more than the 18s, you know, and then you have academy director and then you have first team assistants there's a sliding scale that 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 of, suggests, of salary of salary of salary yeah. that suggests that the higher level that you are coaching at the higher the division the more money you make and he was he was going through this whole process of how in order to recruit from it's gotta from, be the other way from liverpool uh, <laughs> from liverpool to city uh some of the staff that he brought over it's got to be the other way if you want your U14s, if you've got this crop of talent, you've got to pay that guy the right way. So he wants to be a U14 coach because otherwise they're all skipping the ages to go up to the age group that's going to pay them the most money, but they're missing out on what the player development is like at 14, 15, 16, 17, 18. It's very different how you coach, how you speak to them, how you develop, what the, what the, what the training plans are, all mm -hmm, those things. Mm -hmm. So then they all just skip up to wanting to be as high as possible, as quick as possible. And they miss out on all this learning. And so the point I'm getting to with, 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 uh, the coaching side with with Landon Donovan is that he's jumped into this head coaching world and it's in in the lower division. He's able to like probably be a little bit more hands on than he would otherwise, right? In terms of the pressure on him, 
the fact that he's a part owner, the fact that he's embedded in the community, and he's able to learn all those things. Now, whether that's applicable, whether he could bring a team with him to San Jose, whether he has, he'll have the the ability or the freedom to build a club uh, kind of holistically, I don't really know. But the situation he's in right now, he's learning a lot about a, a bunch of different pieces. And I think that's a unique position compared to most coaches who are maybe assistants, first team assistants for 10 years, um, and then get a first co a head coaching opportunity. And it's probably a little bit different than being an assistant coach. No, I love that you bring that insight into this because – there's something to be said about not skipping steps. And we'll use another one of our former teammates and one of our friends, Ben Olson, who went from playing for DC United forever to retiring, being on the, being the assistant coach under Kurt Anolfo, and then within six months was the head coach. Mm -hmm. And then had that job for 10, I don't know, 10, 10 years, something, something yeah. crazy. And I think that he missed some valuable steps in the development process in terms of talking to younger players and how you talk to them, probably a little bit different than you talk to your veterans and how to push the right buttons and to get all that going. And, I would and assume he learned it along the way, but probably sure. looks back at like, man, those I'm perhaps there was and like you do with anything, perhaps there was wasted moments that had I had that knowledge, I could have handled this better or we could have gotten this performance. Or we could have gotten this outcome if I knew if I had a little bit more hands on experience. Right. Yeah, no, I, I just so I use him as an example as you know, there are some some many players out there actually that I've just uh, former former players like, dude, how does Ben Olsen just get a job without even having to work for it? You know, and 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 yeah, some of it's timing and obviously his history and legacy with the club and everything that he's done. And and, uh, you know, it just kind of fell into his lap. We could argue he didn't he did. I don't remember him winning anything, you know, so mm -hmm. so it's not like he turned that into success. But uh I don't know. It's interesting. And I also like that Rodrigo said that uh, paying the younger coaches the most, because imagine if you and I, Keith, were at our local club or whatever, and we had the, the U10s. How stoked would the U12 coach be once we handed off those players to him? They would be just to just be so much farther along. He wouldn't have to worry about you know, uh, technical stuff. I mean, there would be mm -hmm. some technical stuff to refine, but ultimately he could start to get into more advanced tactics because, because of how far along that is. So I totally understand and get that you should be paying some of the top coaches and they should be desiring those younger, those younger players in the, in the, the younger age groups because, because one, well, that's where the money is, but also because it's so formidable. It's so important because if you yeah. have players that already have the technical, the tactical, the, the understanding of the physical, and then and then start to work towards understanding uh, how to how to manage the mental, right? I mean, even that's yeah. a huge component but, of it. That's yeah. it's crazy. Yeah, but you also want coaches who want to coach U twelve, right? You want coaches who go, I know what a I know what a U twelve player is going through. I know what their uh, physical uh, limitations are. I know as they start to transition into into puberty or 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 adulthood uh, for both boys and girls. Um, I know what they're going through. I know how to handle this. I know how to train them. I know what they're capable of. I know what their limitations are. I know how to push them. But if you're constantly jumping around, U12 to U16, and I was doing that in my B life. Sometimes I would, I would, I would train with my uh, 12s and 13s, and sometimes I'd go see the 16s and 17s, and sometimes I'd jump in with a session to support something. And completely different expectations, right? And this wide range of, you know, who's who's more developed than the other. And so, I know it's a little bit of a side topic, but you do, want to get you to a point. Where do you ever well. do you ever coach or go out and see college kids, MLS, whatever, whatever age, but just a little bit older, and you can see where those kids miss some key development. Mm -hmm. Where where I I'll leave this one player nameless, but there's a player that I'm coaching on my USL League Two team, the Glens, and he just can't adapt to what's being asked. And I wonder, like, huh? Do you do you learn that at age twelve? 
is it, is it 13? You know, like where did, there was some key development step that he completely missed out on. And I don't know, even though we work with him and talk with him, if he can, if he can get it back, because it's like, I, I don't understand. I don't know if he's being stubborn or, or if he just can't adapt to, to the, the ideas that I'm trying to implant in him, but I still want him to be himself. I'm not trying to make him a robot, but but can he play within the confines of the parameters that I'm trying to set? It's really interesting. Anyway, here's a question for you. This is a great one. Which current M MLS player do you think would make a great coach? Is there anybody out there right now that you think he's got the goods? It's just a matter. It's almost like we're just watching him do his thing now, but it's only setting him up to be a great coach. Anybody that wants to hit us up on, on the comments and YouTube, do it. Hit us up on Twitter, ISWT pod. Make sure you drop us a follow there as well so that uh, you can hit us up and let us know who you think would be a great coach, current MLS player. I, Go ahead. I, I mean, I, for me, when I think about somebody of like, what could they do next? And where where do have, where have are they synonymous with how I view them? And Dax McCarty's a guy that I'm like, oh, that's a guy that I that, that's synonymous with being on the field, right? Signed when he was 18, 19 years old in the league. He's been a lifer in MLS, understands all of these things, but it just feels at home in the training grounds, right? At home, mm -hmm. on the field, at home, understanding the banter, kind of, almost like raised in the uh, kind of our first generation of players raised in these professional environments that I know he could, I, I know he could do TV and he could do other things. because he's got a great personality. But when I think about, when I think about him, when I think about uh, kind of all the tools that he has from a personality standpoint to the experiences and the ability to apply, apply them, he's, he's good at messaging. He's good at interpreting. He's good at digesting information. He's good at sharing information. I'm like, that's a guy. It's just off the top of my head because they're playing against LAFC this weekend, so I'm thinking about I'm thinking about him. But he's one that I think is on the latter part of his career that I could see going straight into you know a coaching environment and 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 uh, probably at the, at the professional ranks. Not sure about the youth uh, professional environment or the academy level, but he's one that is the top of my head. I mean, it's it's a great uh, stream of consciousness question. Is there anybody that you have? Well, it's interesting you said Dax McCarty is the first person that popped into my head too. Not only because he's cute as a button, we got to give a shout out to Dax McCarty, but because of the experiences that he's accrued. He also was on the roster for that game that we didn't qualify in 2018 in Trinidad. Like he's seen mm -hmm. some pretty bad stuff. And, and I think what's important for that, and you and I have been a part of those either losing big to an international opponent or, or having successes and beating somebody that maybe we shouldn't have with you and mm -hmm. Charlie against Spain. You get to see what happens in the locker room afterwards. You get to see what happens when the coach and how they're handling different situations, whether it's Bruce Arena, Bob Bradley, whoever it may be, your Klinsman. And I think that's really important to, to the development of your own coaching because you put yourself in the shoes of the coach. What would I have said in this moment? Like, I'll give you an example. World Cup 2006, we're playing Ghana. We have to win the last game to get into the round of 16 and play against Brazil. Okay, it's all kind of set and ready for us to go. It's going to be amazing. And we try to build on the 2002 success. Yeah. So we go down 1-0. Claudio Reina, I think he gets fouled, doesn't call it, gets stripped of the ball. They score 1-0. Okay. Claudio goes out, which absolutely crushed us. And, and, and so we end up scoring. DeMarcus plays it across, steals his own ball, plays it to Clint, 1-1. So we're like a minute away from halftime. We give up the, the shadiest penalty of all time. But at that halftime, we were down 2-1. And you could just feel the whole locker room. Just nobody knew what to say. It's all like we had the momentum. We got back into the game. We gave ourselves a chance and then we didn't. And and nobody knew. And I just, I, I wonder, should Bruce have said something more than what he did? I mean, he didn't really say much because everybody was so shocked at how bad the call was and we were so deflated. Like, should I have said something? I mean, I was, I wasn't, not that I wasn't one of the leaders, but I felt like I needed to hear from a Claudio, the captains and, and 
the Eddie Popes and the Frankie Hayduks and, and Landon and Bees, guys that had been there before, you know? So I kind of didn't say anything, but I didn't know what I was going to say. It was going to be more rah-rah, like we, there's nothing we can do about it. Let's move forward. So I always kind of try to put myself in those situations and figure out it, what I would do different. And these things inform how you coach. But I don't know. It's interesting. When I think about some of the oldest players in MLS, you got Drew Moore is 38. I don't know, Drew. Kai Kamara, Johnny Bornstein, you know, he's 37. Brad Guzan's 37. Uh, mm-hmm. Jeff Cameron, 37. Sasha Question, he might not be, but Ozzy Alonso, Diego Chara. I mean, those guys are, I'm curious. I mean, there's a lot of goalkeepers here. When I look at the list, Graham Zussi, I don't know if it's uh, Stephen Benishore yeah. might be a good one, though. Uh, Bedoya, I'll go with Alejandro Bedoya, 35 years old. I think he'd make a fantastic coach. I've already okay. I've worked my way into that one. I'm going to say Alejandro Bedoya. Okay. I mean, we've got a Michael Michael Bradley shout in here, too. I, I mean, I, I could definitely see Michael going straight into. Oh, he'll go into it. Yeah. yeah. No question. Um, in terms of like that being the next step uh, for sure. But he's also a guy that could just take some time. You know, he's made plenty of money to just sort of figure out what he wants to do, or he could coach at the kids' level, or he could just be. Uh, disenamored by by the industry having lived in it since he was like a young child. Um, but yeah, B- Bedoya is a good call. I can see Bedoya getting into other things though, because he's already involved in a lot of things uh, from an investment standpoint. Not to say you couldn't do both, because yeah, I, I'm sure yeah. it's not all hands on. But yeah, I'm, I'm I'm thinking through that that lens of of uh, of who's currently in MLS that could that could do that. Was there was there any guy Jimmy that you were like, you know, at the very beginning? Because this one time I went and talked to. Uh, John T. Whitehead. Do you remember John T. at Fox? Yeah, I remember John T. Yeah, yeah. And he was talking about how the talent pool at Fox Sports was um, – he only wanted to start hiring people that wanted to be analysts. Like, I want you to be an, I want you to be the best analyst you can be. That's who I want in here. But he was mm-hmm. talking about how there's a number of guys that are an analyst until they become a coach or they're an analyst until they get to the front office job. And he was mm-hmm. mentioning a number of players that uh, – or a number of uh, uh, talent that worked with him that were there until the next job came. They were there because – because they liked it, it paid the bills, but their real passion lied in somewhere else. And I and I felt now part of me understood that because you need to make a living and all those things, but but I felt like we were a little bit that that these people were cheating themselves potentially if they truly wanted to do something. And I know that the economic means are are, are very different. TV pays fantastically for, for for these guys, but if you want to be a great coach, then you've got to be coaching. You've got to be coaching, right? You cannot just be doing something else and think when the right job comes, when the right whatever comes, then I'm going to make it happen. But otherwise, I'm I'm you know I'm waiting for that. I'm waiting for the perfect opportunity. I'm waiting for the perfect wave, and the perfect wave never comes. And I feel like that was a little bit disappointing to me to hear. It's the reality. It wasn't like a, that was like some huge news to me. But it was interesting to hear him say, "I want analysts that want to be the best analysts you can, that that you can you can that." that they can be that sounds and like a proper for coaches like i want coach. somebody yeah i want somebody who wants to be the best coach that they can be and how can i be the best coach or how can i not train and then be the best player i want to be and there was something to that that i thought was really powerful and that our next generation of coaches and a lot of that's on the infrastructure of the u.s isn't there yet mm-hmm. but for us to have the best players we're gonna have to have better coaches to have better coaches those coaches are gonna have to be coaching and putting the time in i understand again the economics of that aren't always that easy to be able to Go work a full-time job and then get your coaching reps in. Mm-hmm. There are ways to do it, but um, we're all in much more fortunate positions than most people are, and I still understand the economics can be tough. No, no, that's great. That's fantastic, actually. And, and it kind of leads into one of the big things that I tell kids and parents that that want to know, like, how did you become a professional? I just didn't skip any steps. You know, everybody's looking for this, this shortcut to success, the shortcut to get to the top. 
Well, the shortcut is there are no shortcuts. That that's and that's the hardest thing for people to understand and to realize is that they they want to know a little bit more. They're willing to pay thousands and thousands of dollars. I I, I had this dad uh, nearby where I live. I'm going to share the story, then and then we can get into U.S. Men's National mm-hmm. Team talk. But there's this dad who's like, I'm going to send send my kid down to Taiwichi down in Bolivia. I'm in Northern California, okay, and, and well, I'm going to pay four, five, six thousand dollars, you know, to get down there. And I'm like, dude, he's nine. I'm, I'll, I'll, I'll go take you to a wall nearby that has a flat surface and you're going to get just as much out of that, if not more, because there's not as much pressure on him and he can make mistakes and not feel like he's being judged to have a safe space to develop. That's going to probably have more impact as he starts to create his own identity of how he wants to play as opposed to being thrown into this, this thing. And it's it, no disrespect to Taiwichi and they've already produced world-class players uh, many times over, but but it just felt like an unnecessary cost. But that's what everybody's looking for. They're looking for. I'm, they're willing to pay for that, and that, that I find that to be very, very interesting. All right, we're going to take our first and only break. When we come back, we're going to talk about some U.S. Men's National Team news that's really driven around this one quote from Greg Berhalter. So don't go anywhere. Robert Half Research indicates nine out of ten hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Should you ever set foot outside of the motel, you will be shot. Don't miss the new Showtime limited series based on the international bestseller. For the last four years, I've been a prisoner. Why are they keeping you here? Starring Emmy Award winner Ewan McGregor. This is the brave new world that you dreamt of. Be very careful. You are still a prisoner here. Everything in this new world comes at cost. This is still my country. A Gentleman in Moscow. Now streaming on Paramount Plus. Only with the Paramount Plus with Showtime plan. Welcome back to In Soccer We Trust. I'm Jimmy Conrad alongside Hollywood Heath Pierce. Unfortunately, Chuck Wagon. Charlie Davies is not with us. Today, but I do have some news for everybody, and I meant to meant to meant to mention this. Excuse me, at the top of the show, but we've been nominated for the best sports podcast category in the People's Choice Podcast Awards. We'd appreciate if you guys could take sixty seconds to nominate us. All right, you go to podcastawards.com/app/signup, and then toggle down and find the sports category, and then pick mm-hmm. us. The whole process, as I mentioned, takes about a minute. We've included the link at the top of the episode description as well. We're trying to win more trophies, trying to get more trophies in our cabinet. It's a good feeling. And you guys would be a part of it. You're part of the team. So we would really appreciate any help and support on that. We appreciate you. All right. Keith Pierce, there's this quote from Greg Berhalter that I have to read to you because I think it's interesting. We saw it today and uh, yeah, it was really, really interesting. He says, I think it's important to note Now, Greg Berhalter, for everybody that doesn't know, is the manager of the U.S. Men's National Team, the head boss, the big cheese, the top enchilada. I got all those wrong. (laughs) Uh, I think it's important to note that some recent transfers from MLS came too early. Think about Brian Reynolds, who left FC Dallas, who went to Roma, or George Bellow. There's an argument to be made that he could have stayed in MLS and dominated the league and then moved. So there's a number of guys who I'm concerned are leaving too early. He said that recently to ESPN. What are your thoughts on that? Oh, I agree. I think I think we are going to get to a point where we sort of reach max whatever uh, of players going to Europe, and there's a trend in that because we see a Weston McKinney going to 
uh, Schalke and work his way in as a teenager to a starter and now, you know, is is at Juventus. And we see a number of these players, including, you know, Josh Sargent, who did well at, at Werder Bremen um, mm-hmm. over, over his time there. But it doesn't mean all players are ready to go to Europe. Uh, when I left... When I left Denmark, and I'll use that as my MLS example because it's more comparable than 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 when I was in Germany at the time, I probably wasn't ready. And there was a coach that was telling me, hey, you're not ready. This guy's name's Morton Vecors. He had just retired, and he had become actually, Jimmy, funny enough, a, a, a head coach very quickly after retiring from his time at Celtic and, and Bronby. And he was like, hey, you need to trust in the process. I hadn't really believed the club was mature enough to really guide me towards my next move. I thought that they were just trying to get me for cheap because it was a wildly different salary between where I was in in, in Denmark and, and where I was going to be in, in the Bundesliga. And I probably wasn't ready yet. And But for me, you never let a weakness in, right, Jimmy? You don't think clearly when you're a player. You go, me, that guy? No problem. I'll go challenge for that starting spot at at, at Roma. I'll go. Okay. I can play here. I can do that. And so, of course, of course, you, you, you never really let in those weaknesses. And that's why you need a team around you of, of mentors. Now, I think this is no disrespect to agents, but but I never had a mentor that was an agent. Never had one. Um, and I was thinking about this. You the other can't because they're, they're motivated differently than yeah. than a mentor. Like they're of like, course. Why wouldn't you move to Europe? Because they're going to get a bigger cut than than maybe they'd get in MLS. But I do think agencies should have these mentors. And they should have these where players can have somebody they can talk to on a regular basis to guide them, to help reset. And, you know, there's mental health coaches and sports psychologists and all these things that are important as well. But within these, the context of these things, somebody needs to be able to tell Brian Reynolds, hey, man, you are hyped. You're worth something. Believe me, when the time is right, we're going to move you on. You're not going to miss out on the money. And actually, maybe you do. That's the risk you have to be willing to take. But now Brian Reynolds is, what, a year now? Uh, of of wasted time in terms well, of his player. Wait, I was going to say he's he might be in the wastelands of uh, you know lower division, not lower division, but lower table Belgium. Football. Yeah, and that's not even as good as MLS, the bottom of the Belgian league, and right. and and that's a problem. Now he's stuck there. Yeah, he has the freedom to move a lot easier than MLS because the problem with MLS and they're starting to reward these players now. This you'll you'll get the salary Jesus Ferrer has gotten. I think Brian Reynolds probably would have gotten a new deal worth something. Um, but there's still the salary cap structure that you wouldn't necessarily want to pay a right back 750 grand uh, to stay in your league as a teenager. So you move them on, you get the money, you reinvest it into the academy. It's a good system for FC Dallas. But for Brian Reynolds, like he went to a massive club. Where where was he ever going to fit in uh, for a player that green? He wasn't like some phenom in MLS. He wasn't killing MLS. Mm-hmm. You just saw flashes of what could be. His next move needed to be somewhere where you could start to bring that uh, potential to reality, and that's going to be through training and playing high-level matches, which he could have done had he stayed in MLS. And I, so I fully agree with Greg Berhalter on a lot of those comments. I think a lot of these players are being pushed uh, before they're ready. But the only way to really know that they're but, not ready is to, okay. to, to the people around them, because the players okay, not well, think they're not ready. Well, let me talk. Let's do devil's advocate then, because I think for everybody that might be watching or listening, when are you ready? Because there is some element of sink or swim time. At some point, you have to. Get yourself into a situation where you're going to test and get you out of your comfort zone where am I good enough to play in this situation? And and if I'm not, how do I fight my way through that? I think there's something to be said about that resiliency that comes from, hey, it's actually not going my way in Europe. And we're seeing a little bit with Eric Palmer Brown, who has been on our show before and talked about it. And I was really still thrilled about his transparency about the whole process goes from sporting Kansas city to Manchester city and, and immediately gets loaned out as they do when you're at one of the big clubs that doesn't have a lot of room for younger players to develop with the first team or near the first team. 
And he's trying to fight his way back to relevancy to try to maybe, whether he goes back to City or not, it's almost secondary at this point. Can he can he at least go to a club somewhere in the top five leagues and and do something of consequence? And he's doing that now with Twa. And I'm curious to see how the first half of the season starts in the Liga. But 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 even then, he's developing some resiliency that I don't know if you can liken to some of the environments that you get here in MLS. Yeah, but he he was always going to be part of a loan system. Going to going through City Football Group, the writing's on the wall. He's not going to City, right? Well, that's like so, that's like Miazga at Chelsea. Though. Yeah, Chelsea Miazga and did, City are the. They did get are, a chance though. They did get a chance. Yeah. He did get a chance for a little. Bit. He, he, he did, but like you know, you're competing with Andreas Christensen at that time. That you were never going to take that spot. You you and and he he did have that chance, but but I, I think for for City or Chelsea, unique ex- uh, because they're famous for their player signings and and then the the loan deals that they do chelsea most famously and now city doing the same thing with a lot of their cfg players uh but okay let's talk about busio for example then did busio go at the right time i thought i think that was the right challenge for him yeah yeah he was in and out of a lineup all year long he had sort of reached the ceiling of what i think skc was going to challenge him have he he was a sure starter and i think the the hard part is that the moment a player in mls is no longer challenged or stimulated to have to compete for a starting spot i think the 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 risk of sending them too early is far i think th- that is more important for them to go than be in a situation where they know they're going to play every week and unless they're the, you know a personality type has to be able to be self-motivating and then you can get the most out of them in mls but if the if the challenge that they have the self-challenges that they have in mls are no longer fundamental to their growth then i think they do need to move and i think that's also a problem in terms of depth in mls for brian reynolds well okay maybe justin che but like and then, and they probably knew they had a player coming up under him to to to, to slot in there, but he wasn't challenging for a spot at that point. So that's hard, right? Well, Busio. So I'll, I'll let me speak specifically to Busio. It did feel like the timing was right, but what was happening in Sporting Kansas City was that he they were playing him at a six, and and that's a whole different position to learn than than playing the eight or the ten. And I don't think he was getting as many reps as he possibly could. There's there's no doubt the guy can play. I mean, he can play. He can combine. He's good at in transition. He, he's cool and calm and collected on the ball. If I'm a defender and I have that type of guy in front of me, I'm excited because I know he's probably going to be able to play out of it no matter what kind of ball I give him. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, that was always a big thrill to play with those types of players. And, and Claudio Reyna and John O'Brien really stand out as the two that I really enjoyed playing with the most in that type of thing. And I think Busio has elements of his game that are like that. But I still don't know if he had mastered the position yet. To Greg's point, he didn't dominate in MLS yet. He was good. And you could see his potential. And when he got over to Venezia, when he got his moments to shine and play in his best spots, he had he, we, we saw it. We, he has a quality, and that's why Greg continued to call him in. I still wonder if maybe another year in MLS. Now, obviously, the timing of the contracts and when you're free to go, you got to take a risk at some point. So, so well, so had he, Venezia, by the way, been better, then maybe the situation like there's there is some things that that uh, when you're in a dumpster fire, that is relegation battles. All bets are off. I've been in that. It sucks. Maybe it could have been to a club a tier higher that was. A little more, a little more in his control based on his performances versus like interchanging coaches, interchanging players, doing whatever it takes to like you know looking into a magic eight ball to figure out how you're going to stay in the league. Okay, so a lot of these, well, this 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 quote from Greg Berhalter didn't always didn't. I'm uh, sorry, get us motivated to to talk about it, but also Chuck Booth, one of our uh, CBS Sports family journalists, who wrote a big article on it on CBSSports.com. Uh, you can find it, but he used this quote and then he said, uh, taking a look at these words. Uh, from Greg Berhalter, he did a grading system from all the U.S. men's national team players from January 2021 to January 2022 and gave it an A to F. 
So it's a pretty good read. He talked about Daryl DK, gave it a, a D. Just because I think DK, you know, he when he went to he went to go to West Brom, his old coach at Barnsley, where he did have a good stint, was there. Now that guy got fired. Steve Bruce is in. Now Daryl DK just scored recently in a friendly. And Steve Bruce says he's still raw. He's he's got it in bits, you know, and and it wasn't the most glowing review about uh Daryl DK, which which makes me a little bit nervous. But if he can stay healthy, obviously he's a threat and that's been mm-hmm. proven. But a D is pretty strong. Brendan Aronson, he gave an A. That's that's pretty obvious. I think there's a there's an interesting course that Brendan Aronson took with going to RB Salzburg, which felt like a nice stepping stone. And we see a lot of South Americans go to Portugal first before they kind of get into a top five league. And I think Brendan Aronson had a similar course there. I'm curious to see if his brother Paxton will do the same. Josh Sargent, he gave an F <laughs> from Werder Bremen in Norwich City. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll just I'll just go with those three guys first. We'll take these in chunks. Do you agree with these grades with uh, D for DK, an A for Aronson, and an F for Sargent? I, I mean, I think we're, we're, we, we, we aren't that impressed with the move to a championship for any striker now that's in our national team pool. Uh, I think the injury hasn't, hasn't helped him either. The problem also in the championship is that you can have things in bits and do really, really well, especially if those bits are physicality, your ability to score goals and be busy in a box, you know, and you're not necessarily honing or shaping into a star striker for a national team level. I think you'd learn a different type of, uh, of soccer in the championship than you do in the Premier League. And so I can understand that. I liked the move to the championship because he did so well. And it, it is a testing ground that had he done well or had he not been injured and, and been able to put in these performances, uh, that could lead to something uh, bigger for him down the line. Now, I've never really thought DK had a huge upside. I think he has a lot of tools. But in terms of like how you compare him to Ricardo Pepe, I'm like, there's not really a comparison to them in terms of being strikers. But D- DK could catch fire and and move to a bigger club. So I'm not. I feel like that was maybe a little bit harsh of of a, of a grade for him. Okay. But Daryl okay. DK was relatively irrelevant over the last 12 months, right? Um, for for a number of factors, and so I can understand why. Okay. You've dropped down, but um, Sergeant as well. Like that. That to me was like that was an early 2000s move you, uh, for for an yeah. American player. You do, know? do you think it was just the pull of the Premier League? That why Sargent left. I mean, obviously going from the Bundesliga two when Werder Bremen got relegated to to going to the Premier League, where okay, probably Norwich. All, all in all, even the bookies are like, yeah, they're going straight back down. But there's that. Mm-hmm. I mean, I remember Benny Falhaber did it when he went to Derby, and then Derby had like the worst season in Premier League history, and he said it was like the worst experience of his life. Yeah. I mean, I mean, what I think is interesting. Here's my question. Then let's let's rephrase this one for Josh Sargent. Do you think he became a better player? by that whole Norwich City season and where he is now, now playing in the championship. I you think, think if, if you think if, he's learned, he's got, if you he, mark he it as help a year, learn something. if he left sure. now, I would say he became a better player from it because he's going to okay. learn a lot during that year. Now, would I have liked for him to be in a, you know, a Bundesliga environment uh, for another year that was challenging? Yeah, but if he was going to go to like a Armenia Bielefeld or something like that, uh, no, I don't think he's, I, I think the situation so, he was in, He's going to learn a lot. Now, if he stays there for two years, then I'm like, okay, now you've wasted two years. Uh, it's kind of like this. You get a, you get a little window for his age to be able to learn something and gain some valuable tools of like fighting, scrapping, the mentality that you have to have, the things that come out of the stresses of being in an environment like that. But if he stays there again for another year, then I'm like, nah, time wasted. Okay, so the benefit of hindsight, do you feel like not just the people that are on social media around the U.S. men's national team but the coaching staff, if he had stayed in the Bundesliga too, because in his first game for Werder Bremen, he scored two goals before he left mm-hmm. to go to Norwich. Say he stayed in the Bundesliga too and helped Werder Bremen get promoted back to the top flight. How much more momentum? I mean, he might have had 15, 20 goals in the second Bundesliga. And everybody's like, 
Josh Sargent's the guy. And now look at yeah. he led Werder Bremen back to the, I mean, it's really interesting how, how things can get spun. And, and, but because he had a positive experience because he went out there and performed in a tough environment and got results and helped the team. He led a team to getting back to being promoted. I, I wonder what that would have looked like for him on a personal level and, and his standing within the national team. If he had just stayed and kind of saw it out with Werder Bremen. Oh, by the way, there's a good shout in here from Meg Durr. Hoppy, worst transfer of last year. I, I don't disagree. I mean, he was injured for most of the year, but like... Yeah, he got an F here from Chuck Booth yeah, as well. Just yeah, that was, that was another one where it was a lot of hype. And he's actually a player I was really excited about. But again, you talk about bits and pieces. He's about as raw as they come in terms of like a polished product you know but that energy and that fight that he has was was pretty invigorating for for the national team when he was doing it well but sergeant yeah i mean second bundesliga could have been could have been good for him but there's so many factors that go into this that they might place him on the transfer list because they know they can get money for him right when you go down then you go well we gotta we we've got to shed some weight here and keep some of our tools that we think will get us back up and move some of the the, the what we consider dead weight or or surplus to requirements here and so there's a lot of factors that they could have leveraged that and been like, hey, man, you're on, you're on the outs with us. We need to move you. And then you go into the world of transfers and who can who can afford it, who can pay for it, where should I go? And then you get kind of stuck. It's not as e always as easy as being a good player. You get options or you get to stay and play, right? There's there's a lot more factors that go into it, especially a club that's in a bit of peril, which 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 Werder Bremen were uh, going, you know, getting relegated. The, the size, I mean, when I was in the Bundesliga, Werder Bremen were a Champions League club every year. They were averaging 70 points a season. They were massive. Mesut Ozil was, was, was coming up through the ranks there. But they had big national team players playing for Werder Bremen consistently. Uh, and so for them to go down, that's a massive failure. So you can understand what the club was going through, that they're trying to, 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 to change things around. But I, I mean, to go back to the original point with Greg Berhalter, I agree. I think that it's always going to be this pendulum swinging, right? We went from being like selling no clubs. All players stay here. We're not, this, we're not a selling club to being like, sell everyone um and i think it's going to swing back again to being a little bit more balanced to selling players at the right time to the right clubs i actually do think and this is a uh, this is a great one uh jimmy is look at um paxton aronson mm -hmm. doesn't play for the union but somebody wants him right and so same this with, is another same, same with caden clark with the red bulls yeah. i mean even though he signed with rb leipzig he doesn't play for his club team but does well for the 20s and keep, and keep so you going. you you wonder like what is the right situation for them right and this is a this is a different conversation because paxton's not playing so you're measuring that versus going to salzburg which he's linked to is that a better move for him maybe maybe Sal salzburg's definitely going to have much more um of a a reason feel like to play him and develop him than 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 philadelphia union who who have got a good team they're they're close to top of the league right now. They, yeah, they've gotten a lot of draws, but Paxton Aronson or the young players in the Philadelphia Union, even though they have this strong academy, are not being used in the way that you would think they would uh, in this situation or given the club's sort of philosophy. Gavin says he wants Paxton to join Leeds. Let's tap the brakes there, Paxton. I yeah. or Gavin, excuse me. I would say with Paxton, he has the benefit of his brother kind of laying the foundation of what people should expect from an Aronson and he's already shown it. You can see it in the U twenties that he's got that same type of drive and ambition and they see the game very similarly. Obviously he's going to have a couple different components to their game, but I, I'm not saying that he's a, a known quantity, but even if he's not playing for the union, I think you kind of have an idea of what he's going to be about given that uh, how they both grew up. So I think his brother has done him a service. Now let's talk about another player that you mentioned that also got an F from Mr. Chuck Booth. Chuck Booth just throwing out the F's like no big deal. Hoppy Wait, was who, who one was of that? them. Who, who was the other one you said? It was, it was Matthew Hoppy, Josh yep. Sargent, and this last one, Ricardo Pepe. He gave an F to Ricardo Pepe. Yeah. And 
you know, obviously, uh, as Chuck says, his struggles are well chronicled. Uh, they had you know, teams like Wolfsburg and Atletico Madrid were, were inquiring about Ricardo Pepe. I mean, the guy was in a, in a great run of form. Uh, uh, Ajax and Hilaire is left. And I mean, Ajax is always going to have a pipeline of good young stars. But at least you're 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 in a stable situation where you go like, I'll go punch for punch with any. But like that self-belief has a lot more value in, in, a, in an Ajax system than it does in a relegation yeah. fighting Bundesliga team. Well, well, let's catch you up on on what's happening with Augsburg. They, they fired their coach and they brought in his name is Enrique Massen. Or Mabin. I, I'm doing my best here. It's it's kind of the weird German B. Oh, Mazen. And, and Mazen. Okay, so I was right the first time. Enrico, en, Enrico Mazen. And his last job was coaching the Borussia Dortmund Reserves. And, and he did it well. They actually gave him a contract until 2024, but he he jumped. And they they, they gave him a bigger, better contract because he was doing so well and got them promoted to to the third league, mm-hmm. three Liga in, in, in Germany. But he left to take this Augsburg job. And I like this for Ricardo Pepe because this is a this is a coach that clearly he's only 38. This is a coach that clearly knows how to work with younger players. And mm-hmm. I think that's going to be uh, do a great deal of good for for uh, Ricardo Pepe in a lot of different ways. But also they just got rid of Grigorich, who was like their number nine. You know, he could play underneath as well, but uh, he led the team in goals last year for Augsburg with nine. He's gone. And he's going to Freiburg because he wanted to get a little taste of Europe. They, Freiburg wanted him a couple years ago, and now he's had the chance to do it. But they made a straight swap. So Freiburg ends up giving uh, over Ermadine Dimorovic. Dimirovic, excuse me. He's a 24-year-old striker, a Bosnian international, and uh, two goals and three assists and 31 appearances last year. I think only nine starts for Freiburg. But Freiburg was good, finished sixth in the Bundesliga, so clearly had an impact. So there's still – it's not like Gregorich has just left and they didn't fill the hole, then Ricardo Pepe can fill that void, Heath. They got somebody coming in, but I think there's some signs pointing to him getting better, getting some more valuable minutes, maybe hopefully being played in his best spot. I know they played him wide a lot just to try to get him on the field. Mm-hmm. I feel like Ricardo Pepe is going to score a few goals, and he needs to get that first one. He hasn't scored since October in a meaningful competition. So. Well- it's yeah, really we, important for him to do that. We know coaches make can't make and break careers. And when I was in, again, to go back to a little anecdote to my experience, we brought in uh, in Germany during my sort of five-coach run over two years. The uh, former – Dieter Eilts was his name. He's former mm-hmm. national team mm-hmm. player, was the U21 national team coach that had done fantastic with Germany in the Euros. And he was – he struggled at the first team level because he didn't understand he, – he had been in this environment where a little more discipline, a little bit more – you know, uh, coach and subordinates in terms of young players. He was great with young players within the club, but he struggled with some of the bigger egos. And so from a coaching level, there that, there's a transition there, right? From from mm-hmm. the reserves to, to a first team because of the type of players you're going to have around and the, and the egos. But for a guy like Ricardo Pepe, who's the age that he is, that's a fantastic situation for him to be in. If he can earn that respect and that trust or if that coach has that patience to go, you know what, I'm not going to judge him based on a final product. I'm going to work with him. And maybe Pepe's going to have some bad days or maybe he's going to have a bad attitude from time to time. But I'm going to work with him because I want to get the most out of that player versus other coaches that go, nah, I'll just go with somebody else. And if they're in a stable situation, you now have the ability to do that. Now, again, if they're fighting relegation, then one's in, one's out. You're going to go with whoever has the hot hand. It's different. But I think that could be it's best case scenario for him staying at Augsburg, I guess I would say. Listen, I'm just happy that things changed because the situation he currently was in wasn't great. And so I'm glad the coach and remember when Parkers came on, Michael Parkers came on and said, Oh, I was coached by that guy when I went to Augsburg and yeah, he's not a great coach. He wouldn't be a good fit for Ricardo Pepe. And we all just laughed. Like why wouldn't Pepe or anybody like do that type of research to know where he was going and what he was inheriting with situation. But uh, I know that 
it's difficult at times, especially if you have a chance to make a big move and you can take care of your family in one fell swoop and you have a chance to go to a top five league in Europe. I get it. But he maybe would have benefited from staying in MLS for at least one more year. But maybe Jesus Ferreira wouldn't have emerged as the guy for FC Dallas like he is now. All right. Some other transfer news. Let's go the other way, though. This is kind of looking back and what's in, 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 play, in place for some of those guys that have to fight through some situations that aren't great. But we've got uh, Malik Tillman, who was with Bayern Munich. We got called him, called him into the, the last four games for the U.S. men's national team in June, apparently heading to Rangers. I want to get your thoughts on that. And then Shaq Moore, leaving Tenerife in Spain to sign with Nashville. I thought that was a pleasant surprise. And kind of, I guess in some ways, I wanted to ask you about Greg Verhalter's comments in different ways. Like now, does this, I mean, Brandon Vasquez, Crushing it, 10 goals and four assists for Cincinnati. You have Jeremy Bobasi, has got 11 goals and one assist for the San Jose Earthquakes. Both not those selected guys that, to the All-Star team. They got selected to the All-Star team. Both of those guys. Did not get selected. Oh, did not get selected, which is yeah. weird, but not yeah. weird when you think of the big names that are in. Yeah. But but you have those two guys that are kind of doing what he or Greg Berhalter is saying is stay in the league and dominate the league, and that could give you a better chance. I don't Well, maybe that's intimated. I'm, I'm kind of mm-hmm. putting words in Greg's, Greg's mouth there. But interesting, interesting thing. So you got Shaq Moore coming to Nashville. Coming back to MLS to get some minutes. We'll see if that helps him. Maybe playing next to Walker Zimmerman is, is an added benefit in that regard. What are your thoughts on Tillman, Shaq Moore? And then give me a little bit of insight on, on Brandon Vasquez and, and Bobasi. You've been blowing up. And do you think do you think they have a real chance of maybe sneaking onto this roster? I mean, I, I certainly think you bring him in for a look in September, right? Where you just go, well, I'm going to find but, but out. We, those quick. are our two last games. Is that the time yeah. to, to yeah, I mean, you bring him into camp, you give him a few minutes because, if again, if they stay hot through the end of the year or, or they're in the playoffs, you know, uh, and, and you're joining the team right leading up to World Cup with a hot hand, why not bring him? you got three extra players now that you can you can bring into the team or bring into your roster. So I don't think, I don't think our national team is 26 deep right now. In terms of solid positions or ones that are that are shoo-ins. Now you naturally get to 26 players through depth of saying, okay, now we've got your 18 and who's the next one? You're gonna get to 26. We've got plenty of players in the pool. But if a few of those guys have the hot hand, I'm taking them over like, uh, eh, you know, you're kind of just the 26th player in my team versus a guy who's has been the 30th player or 35th player, but is in incredible form right now and a goal scorer. I'm going with that person. So I think you bring him in for sure. Uh, like just it, even if you don't play them, just to see how they interact with the group and see how they perform, because those sometimes those games can be tough where you're only in for a week and you don't really do any like hardcore training, you know? Yeah, but uh, I'm just trying to think of again. All I know is the the 2010 cycle, and and you had uh, in that window players who hadn't been in the national team for a long time were defender Clarence Goodson. Um, mm-hmm. uh, attackers were again Robbie Finley, Edson Buttle, and and Hercules Gomez. Part of the national team pools for a long time, but weren't like key to the qualifying process. weren't key to that, and and were important parts of 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 the the DNA of that roster, and almost ones that you knew. Robbie uh, Robbie Finley a little more uh, surprising, but Edson Buttle in the form that he was in, and Hercules Gomez. You're kind of like they're definitely going. Um, you know, there wasn't like I didn't when they were coming up with the roster selection of 23 out of the 30 players of us that were in camp, they weren't two players that I questioned whether they'd make the team because of what the potential value could be in a closing minutes or stoppage time or in the second half, or you deplete yourself on the depth chart uh, through injuries or whatever could happen. It made sense. I don't know. What's your, what's your, your take on, on those players coming in and again, staying in the league. Do you think it's actually as valuable as Greg says, or, or do you think, these are examples of players that are probably not getting the respect because they stayed in the league instead of going somewhere else. I guess the one thing to bring into the equation for Vasquez and Abobasi is that 
were they going to make a move anywhere else? I mean, some of the players that we're referencing are, are pretty young and have mm -hmm. a lot more of that potential attached to them than maybe uh, in Abobasi and, and Vasquez. But to your point, and based on history in 2010 in particular, and Bob took those three strikers that uh, were just hot hands at the right time. And when we mentioned it with Greg, we've talked about this before and had an interview with him. He said, well, all three of those players that you mentioned were all strikers. So, so it bodes well for those guys that they keep scoring, that they're going to maybe get a look. And let's not be naive. This is not just for our national team, but for national teams around the world. We're going to have a significant injury. Like somebody's going to be out or two that aren't going to be a part of the World Cup, which is going to be. We already lost Miles Robinson, which which has been uh, pretty impactful. I would so. say three players, Jimmy. Three players from now that we three? expect, whether it's from injuries, form, or otherwise. Isn't that, that crazy? God, yeah. I can't even wrap my head around which three players that are going to be. And I don't even want to get into it right now. I mean, Oguchi like Onyewu shouldn't have gone to the 2010 World Cup because of how injured he was, but he went. But that was a player that we were like, oh man, that's a big, that's a big right, name right, player. Right. Um, I mean, he was still sort of in rehab and like hobbling around at our. Yeah, our he wasn't hundred percent, not even close. Um, yeah. And uh, and he went because you you have you had your, you use a spot hoping that this guy who's been so big for the national team could could come in and 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 figure it out. But generally speaking, that was one that could have dropped out. Steve Chirundolo, uh dropped out of a World Cup, and and I think Frankie hated it. Ended up going. And yeah, you yeah. look back at history, and there's a number of guys. A lot of them in. A lot of those stories happen in like the pre-camp, which is crazy. Right. Well, Chris um, Armas. Chris yeah. Armas ducked out of 2002 and Pablo Mastriani jumped in. And then all of a sudden, Pablo had a great game against Portugal. And everybody's like, who's this Pablo Mastriani yeah. guy? You know, but if you think about to, yeah, that's 20, what, that's what happens. Yeah, 20 to 30 games from now, it's it's part of the game. So you might lose one or two players or you might which is you intense. Know, something. Which is and intense. it could be, but it could be a simple, Jimmy. It's not we're not talking about ACLs. It could be a hamstring, right? Hamstring. Six right, weeks, right, right, right. You miss the tournament, right? right? Yeah. You come back right after the tournament. And you you go and you, you you continue your career. It doesn't have to be you know, some sort of like six, eight month out major injury. It's, it's the timing of things, you know, you pull up. And, I don't, so things I don't happen. know if I can emotionally handle any of our big players getting hurt, but uh, we do have a penchant for whatever reason with this young, young team that we do have some guys getting hurt quite often, more often than I would like. All right. With regard to Shaq Moore, I think it's a good move for him. If he wasn't going to get minutes, if he couldn't find a team to get into maybe La Liga itself, maybe didn't want to swim in the waters of, of La Liga too. gets himself in a team that's next to a national team defender and Walker Zimmerman. Uh, they play a good style of defense in particular. He'll be able to get forward. I think it'd be a nice addition to Nashville. And then with Malik Tillman, with Joe Rebo leaving Rangers, I think that opens up some space in the middle of midfield for him to potentially fill that void. I mean, I think he's going to obviously have competition, but uh, Giovan Bronkhorst is a great coach. I like what Rangers did and and almost got to uh, the, become champions of the Europa League. So, so there's something there within that team. And when you have that type of success, of course, bigger clubs are going to come in and poach your best players. But that could be a good spot for Malik Tillman to get in there and, and hopefully be trusted in a meaningful way to get some responsibility from, from a coach that, that knows what he's doing and obviously has plenty of experience from playing himself. So yeah. I think these are all good moves for these guys. They seem positive, and hopefully they can turn them in to something very special. All right, Heath Pierce, final thoughts before we let everybody go here on In Soccer We Trust. And we appreciate you if you're still listening. That means you really, really love us. No, I mean, uh, my my final thought is that uh, you look at the Shaq Moore and the clubs that they're in, 99% of the clubs around the world take out the Champions League clubs and the top Champions League clubs have less resource, have worse facilities, have worse infrastructure than what Major League Soccer has to offer. Now, if you're a good young pro and you're coming in, Shaq Moore's 25 years old, he's going to come back into a situation where he's going to have access to uh, medical differently, access to a training room, access to uh, facilities and resources and things that you didn't have before in terms of being a top-level pro and taking care of your body, it's the right situation to be in. And so while the risk is differently when you go, go to Europe, the infrastructure and all the tools that you have to be the best player you can be are far greater in the MLS 
off the field than anywhere else, plus the quality of life. It's really hard to turn down, so I get it. Yeah, and my final thought is for the U.S. Women's National Team, everybody, they got to the final of the CONCACAF W Championship. They're taking on Canada. We haven't lost. I'm speaking as the U.S. Women's National Team. We haven't lost since we lost to Canada in the Olympics in the semifinal. We got the bronze medal ultimately, and they got the gold. It's time for revenge, mm-hmm. and that game is happening on Monday night. Make sure you take some time to to watch. It's going to be on Paramount+. Plus. And it's at 9 p.m. Eastern. So I just want to give a shout out to our ladies and hopefully they can do the business and get the revenge. All right, also, we're done. Jimmy, Jimmy, wait. Shout out to our broadcast team down there in Paramount Plus as well, sitting out there in the sun. I saw those umbrellas with them. They're, they're, they are sweating it out uh, on location, which I think is a great commitment to the sport to have the broadcast team on location for this tournament. It's awesome. So all the best. Yeah, for it's great. So many different ways. Make sure you support the ladies. If you're from Canada, make sure you support your ladies as well. It's going to be a great game between two teams that haven't given up a goal in the tournament so far, all the way to the final, haven't given up a goal, both Canada and the U.S. women. So it's going to be a fantastic game because we know that goals are going to be scored. It's going to be tight, but it's going to be a lot of fun. Make sure you watch that. And thank you for listening and watching in soccer. We trust we will see you next week with three exciting episodes like always. So on behalf of producer Des, producer Alex, Charlie Chuck Wagon Davies, who's isn't here, he's playing hooky, Hollywood Heath Pierce. I'm Jimmy Conrad saying goodbye. We'll see you later. Jeremy Renner returns to Paramount Plus for a brand new season of the original hit series, Mayor of Kingstown. My job is to create a balance. Avoid a war. From executive producer Taylor Sheridan, co-creator of Yellowstone. There's some new players in town, and they brought the flag. And Antoine Fuqua, director of Training Day. I know it's always been a war zone, Mike, but this is next level. The mayor is back in business. Are you warning me? You're going to find out. Mayor of Kingstown. New season streaming June 2nd, exclusively on Paramount+.